This is the Partnership for the Arts talk show. Hey everyone, welcome back into the science fiction studio in the Magic City. I am your host, Dave Bice. This podcast is brought to you by Partnership for the Arts Group, and we got a show for you today. We are going to be speaking with Iris Kane. She is an author, a prolific writer in the genre of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, and she'll be joining us here in just a moment. So hold on, because I'll be right back with my cup of coffee. This is Partnership for the Arts podcast. Come join us as we explore the art worlds of science fiction. You can find us on our Facebook page at Sci-Fiverse Group Podcast. Or you can find us on our website at pftatalkshow.org. Science Fiction Studios is recorded in the magic city of Birmingham, Alabama. Hey everyone, we are back and as promised, we are sitting here talking with Iris Kane. She is the author of several series, including The Blood Drive. She is joining us now in Zoom. Iris, how are you? I am doing really well this morning. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I like well, it. It's a great opportunity. Yes, yes. I, I want to say thank you for coming on. And we had a few technical difficulties <laughs> before we got started this morning, and you've been very patient. So we appreciate that. Okay, Iris, awesome. You and I met at MagicCon. Yes. In uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Yes. And I was uh, perusing around the show, and I, I saw the title of your book sitting there and the cover caught my attention. We had a few minutes to talk. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a wonderful opportunity to have you come on the show. And I'll say that again. Thank you for, for joining us and being <laughs> patient. You are in Huntsville, Alabama, correct? I am. Rocket City. Rocket City. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. And you have actually traveled quite a bit in your history. We were talking before the show. You've been yeah. in Michigan, Arizona, South Carolina, Georgia, Germany. Germany. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking earlier. Uh, you actually traveled the world and then joined the military. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in Southwestern Michigan. I graduated in Southwestern Michigan without ever moving from that little tiny corner of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, my folks didn't travel a whole lot. So, and I knew that growing up, I always wanted to see the world, and as soon as I graduated, I uh, moved to Arizona, moved to Chandler first, and lived there for two or three months, and then I had an opportunity for a, a nannying gig down in Tucson, so I moved down to Tucson, and I checked out college in Chandler and saw how much the price tag was on that and realized I didn't have the money, so I moved back home to Michigan, then to South Carolina, mm-hmm. and Moved to Hilton Head Island. I loved Hilton Head. This was back in 1992, so I'm probably dating myself a little bit there, but that's okay. I'm I'm 50 and I'm proud of it. I you know that's fine. There you go. And I uh, I lived in Hilton Head for a couple of years, and from there I went to Savannah. And uh, when I lived in Savannah, I made some friends in the military, who were part of the 37 Cal in Fort Stewart, 
and they were the reason why I wound up joining the service. I walked into the recruiter's office and he was more than happy to work with me to <laughs> get me recruited because I'm sure they uh, get all kinds of kudos and who knows, maybe bonuses for the recruits they get. I don't know. I didn't ask. I just knew if I got Fort Stewart, I was willing to join the army. So I did. Awesome. And three-year stint. Is three that what stint. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll say thank you for the service. Uh, thank um, you. You you got out and then you you ended up being with somebody that was in the military. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And he had re-enlisted for Germany. So it was either get out and go to Germany and be with him, who I was absolutely crazy about at the time. I mean, he's still friends or stay in and re-enlist. And I really kind of went back and forth on that a bit for a while. And then I went, OK, where well, I guess I'm going to Germany. So Germany, and now you're back in Alabama. I am. He was part of the air defense and living in Hilton, or living in Huntsville, where the, uh, like we were saying, Rocket City. Right. We've got all sorts of organizations here dedicated to working in space. Mm -hmm. And so my ex being air defense, that's what brought us here. He got a job with Northrop Grumman. So we came to Huntsville. Um, he and I didn't make it, but I have a wonderful kid. He's uh, 18 years old. He's a rocking musician. He's got the heart as big as Texas and uh, and I'm, I'm very proud of him so yeah um, wouldn't change a thing my life in Alabama continues and you actually work there at uh, we'll say Rocket City yes correct? I do work in Rocket City I work in missile defense agency mm -hmm. for an organization called the operational test agency okay that is my day job which which funds my my book life and my con life so that you and I can meet at wonderful places <laughs> like Magic City Con there you go <laughs> You've traveled extensively. You have a family. You, I know from uh, your bio, also a dog lover as well. Oh, yeah. 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 I have two little guys. They're Swedish Valhoons, which are the most people don't even know who they are. I'm just going to get a T-shirt made that says they're Swedish Valhoons <laughs> on it because we like taking them out in public. But every like every 20 feet, somebody stops us. What kind of dogs are those? Because what it looks what they look like. If you've never seen them, I have never seen them. It looks like somebody, first of all, it looks like somebody took a wolf and a German shepherd and made a hybrid of that and then took that dog and bred it with a corgi. Oh, <laughs> so it's like a little shepherd wolfy dog that's got the little chonky body and the stubby little legs. They bark a lot, but they are the sweetest things and I love them so much. <laughs> we take them everywhere. We got two of them. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're super sweet and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change them. They're so yeah. get you a Valhoon. They're great dogs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have my favorite. He's a Aussie Border Collie mix. Ooh, oh, those are good dogs. Yeah, but he, he's a Shetland sheepdog. So he's only okay. like 30 something pounds. So he's, oh, wow. he fits in the lap in the car and yep. in, in bed. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's just a wonderful dog. So those are the best. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to ask you, Iris, sure. with everything you're involved in and everything you've been involved in, How'd you ever find time to write? Oh, goodness. Okay, so there's a story behind that. I started writing Blood Tribe. I wrote before my son was born. Mm -hmm. I wrote that while we were living in Germany. I wrote the words, the end. It took me nine months from the time I sat down and dedicated myself to the story because I actually came up with the idea for the story back when I was living in Savannah. I started taking notes and stuff. I went to, <laughs> this is before Google, so I was going to the library and stuff. I had all these longhand written ideas, and but I sat down in Savannah wrote down some stuff. And when I moved to Germany, I dug all those notes out and I started actually cranking out the story. It took me nine months to finish it. And after I finished Blood Tribe, I wrote 
Eternal Spring. I wrote that while I was pregnant. Uh, after Eternal Spring, I wrote Shadowhunter. After Shadowhunter, I wrote Blood Trials. Now, mind you, all of this is still, I was military spouse yeah. and then I came here. I was a stay-at-home mom. And when we got here, I wound up using my GI Bill. I got my bachelor's degree. I then got my master's degree. And then I started work, working full-time and I was working full-time, going to school, being a mom. I didn't have time to do anything. So these books are literally... I mean, I, not literally collecting dust, they're collecting digital dust <laughs> for years. And when, funny thing, COVID hit and I didn't have the commute anymore. So it was getting, I got 90 minutes back in my day and suddenly I had a little bit of free time. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I can get back into that writing thing. <laughs> <laughs> so when I started looking at it, the writing world had changed tremendously from the way it was when I first finished Blood Tribe, because now you have Amazon uh, Kindle Direct Publishing Absolutely. and Ingram Spark and all these fabulous places that can help you as an indie author like myself to get your work out there. So what I did, I had found um, this wonderful writer. She's also an indie publisher. Her name is Alicia Hyder. And I found her books through a Facebook ad, which kept popping up on my feed. And, you know, Facebook, man, they got your algorithm nailed. Oh, yeah. they, they know exactly what you want and they're going to try to sell it to you. And she had these books called the Soul Sumner series. And it kept popping up and popping. I was like, you know what? It's only 99 cents. I'm going to buy this book. And I bought that book and I bought the next book and then I bought the next book. And then I found out that she was an indie author. So I reached out to her on Facebook because at that point, you know, I'd, tracked down her uh, Hyder Nation fan group that she had there on Facebook. And I messaged her and said, you know, hey, how did you get started in this? And she referred me to a group called 20 Books to 50K, which sounded really, really intimidating at first because I'm like 20 books to make 50K. That's a lot. <laughs> now, granted, I had five books written already, but that's still, you know, that's a big jump from five books to 15. And I know how much work those first five took. So, uh, but the thing is, is the, the, the whole site was started by a guy, Michael Anderley, I think mm -hmm. his name is. Okay. His concept was he figured out that it, based on what he was making off of the first two books, I think he published, he would need to publish 20 books. He's like, mm -hmm. if I write 20 books based on what I'm making now, I can retire to Mexico. Well, it didn't take 20 books. It took five books, but the name stuck. So... I use them as a resource. They are, if any, if y'all got, if you have any indie authors out there, I highly recommend checking them out. They have YouTube videos. If you look 20 books to 50 K YouTube videos, you can, they have a convention that meets, I think last year they met in Vegas or something crazy, which I mean, that sounds like tremendously fun. I didn't go, but the videos are up on YouTube. So you can take all the courses that all the people that are making it as independent authors, you can learn from them and stand on the shoulders of these people who are doing a phenomenal job going gangbusters with their independent novels. Okay. Iris, that's, that's fantastic. I, mm -hmm. I haven't heard of that site. So mm -hmm. I think you just gave a good uh, clue in to a lot of people that, that, that were in the same position you were in. Yeah. There you go. So anchors.com is another one. Con, uh, C-O-N, like mm -hmm. a, with a, a Charlie Oscar November. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> going back to the military thing. That's got they, that one you actually have to pay for, but it's more classes in 
business side and tech uh, writing technique and marketing and uh, Kindlepreneur would be another good one for any uh, indie author folks that are, are aspiring indie authors to check out. Okay. All right. Well, Iris, we appreciate that info, that insight. And if you will hold on there for a minute, we're going to take a commercial break and we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Russ Emanuel. I'm the director of Occupants, the Assassin's Apprentice and Caller, and you're listening to Partnership for the Arts. Okay, so we are back from the break, and again, we are talking with Iris Gain. She is the author of Blood Tribe Trilogy, along with several others that we've been discussing. But Iris, one thing I'd love to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Okay. (laughs) When you're writing, mm-hmm. how do you go through the process once you get an idea or how you get the ideas? I know you mentioned the 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 thing of having dreams and going sure. through those. And uh that's that's just cool. But when that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. how do you how do you take an idea and how do you make it work? Do you have a certain format do you use? I the, don't the books that's, you've done? Yeah, that's the funny thing. When I wrote um the first the very first book I wrote, the end on the end of the uh, uh, the end of the digital page was Blood Tribe. And that mm-hmm. was, I, it took me nine months to write it. I jokingly call it my first baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was a stay-at-home mom. I had the luxury of being able to get up and work out and clean up and sit down. And I was at the computer every day from 10 to 2, 10 to 3. Mm-hmm. And I did everything they tell you not to do because the big thing you'll read when you go to any writer's websites, uh, groups, just get the work out. Just get it out. Don't worry about editing. Don't don't just get the story out. Oh, no, I, I, I edited as I went. I would, mm-hmm. there were days I didn't want to crank any words out at all. So I'd go back and edit a chapter or I'd forget where I was in the story and I'd have to go back and read several chapters. And um, so I'd edit those pages. So like I said, Blood Tribe, that took me a really long, well, for me, it was a really long time. I'm sure there are others that might disagree. Shadowhunter, I outlined from beginning to end, because again, oh, I had okay. um, Eternal Spring, I wrote when I was pregnant. I had a really bad case of baby brain. And I had a friend who was very sweet and brought me all of the caffeine and sugar <laughs> that I couldn't eat while I was pregnant right after I gave birth. And I was Panging, and I sat down and I was like, I hate this book. So here's my what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean it up. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to chop and paste the heck out of it because I can't hate it any worse. And if I'm done and it's better, great. And that is exactly what I did. I went back and reread it and went, cool, it works now. <laughs> so that's how that one went. Sour started out actually as a writing exercise to kind of get back into it. And I fell in love with the story. I fell in love with the characters. I was just kind of writing that one as I went. I got about two thirds to maybe three quarters of the way through the story and was like, I want to finish this. This is good. I'm enjoying this. And so I went back, I reread it. I sat down with my laptop on the patio outside and a bunch of yellow sticky notes and a notepad. And I outlined what I had then. And I was making sticky notes of all, because I, when I write, I tend to leave little Easter eggs mm-hmm. that I may or may not use later on. And if I don't wind up using them, I'll just delete them in the edit. And I found Easter eggs that I had dropped along the way that I went, oh, oh, and it was just <clears throat> the whole, you know, the, the proverbial, I don't know, I can't call it, but you know, the, the, the 
yeah. the brain just exploded. <laughs> and I went, I know now where this is going. And after that, everything just fell into place. And so no, any, no one book has followed the path of any of the others before it. And despite what you might, you know, any of the potential folks out there that are thinking about being indie authors, don't let anybody tell you what to do when you write. It's your art. It's, it is your book. I've read somewhere, and I don't know how to say but I've read that Dean Coons, who is one of my favorites, by the way, will edit an entire page over and over and over again until he's happy with it, and then he'll move on to the next one. That would drive a lot of people crazy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if that is, in fact, true, that's his technique. That's what other people, they sprint through an entire book and they go back and they, you know, I've heard the expression, you put the words on the page. It's like dumping sand into a sandbox just to build sandcastles later. I love that analogy. I did not come up with it, but I do too. I haven't heard that. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a great way to to put it, but there are people that write the entire, they do it in sprints Mm -hmm. sit down and write for 20 minutes and don't even worry about doing what I do. I'm guilty of it. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, what would be a really great name for somebody from that part of the world? Well, Google, <laughs> you know, don't do that. Just put insert Russian name here and then keep going on your sprint. But whatever works for you, it's, it's, it's your story. It's your art. It is your Absolutely. technique. Mm-hmm. So do mm-hmm. what works for you. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of working for you, Blood Tribes, you have the next volume of that coming out, correct? Yeah, I have. Well, the first one is Blood Tribe. Second one is Blood, blood Ties. Third one is Blood Treason. Uh, blood Treason will be out in December. Mm-hmm. So that one will be wrapping up the Blood Tribe trilogy. And it will be the last of Vivian's story. And when I finished that last book, I cried a little bit because you fall in love with your characters a little bit. You oh, can't yeah. help it. I mean, even the ones you kill off, you still love them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, since that's fresh in your mind, mm-hmm. I... I, I want to get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts of, of this. And I love the fact that you're using sticky notes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have, I have used many a whiteboard myself going through ideas and rearranging and, yeah. and, and all that. Uh, now, you know, you could, you could still do it on a computer, but I, I do mm-hmm. use both. I use both methods. Oh, I'm very tactile. Yeah. I need yeah. to have something with my, for my hands. Blood treason. Mm-hmm. Let's take that one. The process of you going through that book when you had the idea, because obviously yeah. you had the, the other ones before it, yeah. and, and now you're wrapping up the trilogy. Yeah. Did you find yourself using a format you did with the other two books or something completely different? The Blood, the Blood Tribe trilogy, I did kind of pants it. Um, that's a, you know, the writing technique called flying by the seat of your pants. Um, <laughs> okay. I, that it worked for the first one and I kind of wanted the other two books to have very much the same feel. And I mm-hmm. figured the best way to do that would be to write them in a similar style. So I sat down and I knew what I wanted to do as far as a theme for the trilogy, because the whole theme is how life is about balance. Hmm. Okay. Sounds intriguing. Iris, how about you take it away? Tell us about this trilogy first book revolves around Vivian who falls in love with the world's first vampire and he seduces her and things go on it's it's not a romance story there are tiny bits of romantic elements to it but it is definitely more of a fantasy slash paranormal suspense book 
And so that one revolves around Vivian and she is the, the good in the world. The middle book revolves around a young woman who is, her name's Amara, and she is about the balancing element in the world. The final book revolves around can't have good without evil. And so one character who shall remain nameless, spoilers, uh, (laughs) he who has been good all along winds up being a very, you know, very much influenced by the evil in the world. Uh, And so, and it's about how all of these vampires who theoretically are motivated and were created by this evil power and how they overcame it uh, in a way because they didn't want to kill people. Okay. Excellent. I, I love that insight, but as a beautiful summary. Yeah, I, it was, it was my favorite. Well, I don't know. They, they, I say it was my favorite books to write, but they're all my favorite in certain, you know, it's like, you can't have a favorite kid. <laughs> not supposed to have a favorite kid, but they, I, I love the way that, that a really evident theme wove its way into the, the plot. I, that to me was as a, as somebody who considers myself a, a fan of words. Um, I'm always worried that I'm going to get to the end of the story and be like, yeah, but what was it about? And <laughs> you don't want to be that person. You don't want to turn out a product that people get to the end of it. And don't get me wrong. There's, there's room for books that are just nothing but bubble gum for your brain. Mm-hmm. Little brain candy never hurt anybody. And there are books out there that serve that purpose, but I kind of wanted something a little bit, a little bit deeper in mind, maybe not, you know, Bible level deep or philosophy, but yeah. Deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so with that, you wanted to follow sort of the same format you did with the previous two. So it had sure. the same feel to it. Yeah. Well, comparing that to the other ones, would right. you say the other ones you've written were of a different feel and you did a different process for it? Very much. Shadow Hunter, I outlined from start to finish. Um, it came to me in a dream or nightmare. <laughs> uh, I woke up and was completely freaked out. And being somebody who loves horror, all things horror, I immediately went, that is a great story. And I'm going to turn that into a novel. So I sat up, wrote it all down in an outline. And that one just flew from my fingers. Now, granted, when you write an outline as a writer, sometimes your character's take things in a direction you don't anticipate. And as soon as you write the words, you're like, wait, where did that come from? Wait, stop it. You're not split. You're not following the outline. (laughs) And then you have to modify the outline a little bit to kind of go, because I knew how I wanted it to end and I knew how it began, but sometimes your characters muddle up the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes the characters completely change your end. Uh, In my case for that book, they didn't, but yeah, Shadowhunter I cranked out in like three months. It was for me that oh, was wow. record time. Uh, I know there are writers that are more prolific than that, but for me that was fast. Well, considering the other ones that you've had and and everything that's gone yeah. on in between, oh for sure, uh, family life and all. See, I find that interesting. Would you say because I think you just said it, but I, I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna ask: Do you find when you're writing your books, do you actually find a story actually speaking to you and taking oh, it in a direction you didn't realize? Hundred percent. Yes, the characters, they are, I, I, I know that there are authors out there that make big character pages and, and they develop their characters that way. My characters 
drop into my head fully formed. Okay. Um, I don't know why, I don't know how, but I could tell you all about any of them, where they grew up, what they did, their favorite colors, their mm -hmm. favorite, rel I mean, just like it, they drop into my head fully formed and I just tell their stories. Okay. Interesting. So you basically get a download and then you just tell the story. That's what huh? it feels like sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like. Sometimes. I, I can't remember who said it and I'm paraphrasing it best, but there was somebody that said that, I think it was art might be writing, but I want to say it was art is basically like having one hand on the earth and one hand on the universe and just letting it flow through you, just channeling that. And I think, you know, if people talk about when you are getting into your creations, how it's, you just get in the zone. Right. And time just disappears. And exactly. when I am, when I'm writing, that's a lot of times that happens. I get my music going Mm -hmm. And the world just disappears and I'm there. What, what music do you listen to when you're right? Oh gosh, there's so much. Um, I've been on a Bach kick lately, but there's one and I'm going to completely mutilate his name. He's, well, he's <laughs> the, the, the gentleman that does the soundtrack to Westworld. Oh, okay. I don't know if you've ever watched the show. It's oh, yeah. the, you know, the, this whole futuristic Western fantasy mm -hmm. thing. And that, what they do is they take rock and roll songs and they give them this old timey vibe and it is the neatest sound. And for some reason, listening to those just gets me in a good headspace. Okay, good. A little good. creepy, but that's kind of the idea. No, <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> no, seriously. No, that, that's, I wouldn't say that. You know, we talked about this I, yeah. and I have talked with authors that, that a lot of them describe what you're saying, have listened to Mozart as they create. Yeah. I myself, when I'm in that zone that you just described, and mm -hmm. I realize it's now 4 a.m. in the morning, yeah. I've been up for 24 <laughs> hours, and, and my wife is getting up at six and bringing me a cup of coffee, and I'm still going at it. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I have my different types of music. You know, if it's it's the good guys are, are in a very big crisis of the book mm -hmm. as a story, I tend to listen to different kind of music. Then yeah. uh, I'm doing a outer space scene. Then mm -hmm. I have themes from Star Trek and Star Wars and all those. Oh, good. Yeah, about. nice. Uh, so I, I've kind of categorized those along uh, the way yeah. for the mood setting. Yeah, because and I know what chapter I'm going to go into. It helps. Fight scenes. I've had some really heavy duty cranking, hard pumping, hard charged. Really good. They do. They write music that's. It's very much like a music, it's like a score to mm. a movie, but mm -hmm. it's not really a score. It's just, that's their style. Right. Uh, really, some of the Halloween album out there that I really like, that's super creepy. And of course, maybe writing the paranormal suspense. I don't, I don't like a whole lot of lyrics unless songs that I've listened to so many times, I can just kind of, kind mm. of tune it out. I've got, right. I do have a playlist that I call my witchy vibes. It's got a lot of <laughs> Fleetwood Mac and, you know, stuff that's just a little. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy Fleetwood Mac myself when yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm they're working fantastic. in the, uh... I'm going to see uh, Stevie Nicks come into the Orion theater. Oh yes. I'm so, I'm super psyched. I got to see the Fleetwood Mac in uh, New Orleans a couple of years ago too. And that was a fantastic show. They put on a good show. Yeah. yeah. I saw, I saw the original Fleetwood Mac in St. Louis growing up. Oh, they do a good show. I mean, they're, well, they're a great band. What can you say? Yeah. So let's move into your novels. Yeah. What else have you got in the works? I have 
Let's see. Well, Blunt Treason obviously is coming out in December. Mm -hmm. The characters from Sour, I really fell in love with. And although I'm not going to technically make a series out of it in the way that like the storylines are going to just continue from book to book, I am going to write more books with those same characters in it. So I'm going, I'm planning on doing a, because we've got Sour, I've got Sweet coming out, hopefully early next year and Salty and Bitter. I have outlined both <laughs> of those roughly, you know, kind of a, this is where I want to start. This is where I want to end up kind of outlined, but I also I love had, those titles. Yeah. It's and, well, and the funny thing is, is that all of the witches in there are categorized by color. So if you're a green witch, you're this type of witch. If you're black, you're this, if you're white, you know, you get the idea. Right. Um, right. I, in fact, I read something about the gray witch. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Murphy, uh, who is the main character in Sour, she is a gray witch. She's a chaos witch. Well, she thinks she's a chaos witch. <laughs> <laughs> um, her high priestess comes to her early in the story and says, yeah, I don't, I don't think all that stuff that goes wrong when you leave your house, I don't think that's you. And so they start trying to figure out where all the chaos is coming from. And it winds up, finger starts pointing at somebody that Murphy knows and yeah, it's, it's kind of it, like I had a lot of fun writing that one. And like, I, I fell in love with the characters. And so sweet revolves around again, Murphy, but she, she has this little clan of teens that she's mothers. And the second one is about uh, Jake. Um, and he winds up running into some problems and Murphy. Well, it's no fun if they don't run into problems. <laughs> <laughs> what, where's the story. If they, if everything goes okay. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. It's just, you, you got to have them overcome and that's the, the hero's journey. Right, right. So, sour. Um, that one actually came out. Oh, it did earlier okay. this year. Um, okay. Sweet will be coming out. I'm hoping spring of next year. Mm -hmm. uh, my goal with that series is to hopefully get out one a year until I'm done, and then if I still love the characters and still want to continue their stories, I may just work my way down the spectrum and start with red and work my way down to violet. So okay. We'll yeah. There you go. Now, again, obviously, you and I both travel the Comic-Con circuit. Yes. Uh, we, again, we, we met in Birmingham at Magic City Con. Mm -hmm. You got any other travels ready to go? Well, I, year, next year? Fan Expo in Boston uh, earlier. And that was, that was a lot of fun. That was the first time I've done that one. And I just got back from CreepyCon in Knoxville, which was a blast. I'm doing Scarefest in Lexington. And, I, and I'm doing a couple of smaller things, just local stuff. I'll be at couple of Nashville events, just, just local stuff to, mm -hmm. I just, I love meeting people and being able to put a face to the people buying my books and being able to sign them for them if that's something that they want. Yep. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm also going to be doing the Con Nuga next spring. So I will be in uh, Chattanooga for that. Okay. Other than that, not for sure. Um, everything's well, still kind of up in the air. That's far enough with yeah. things you got to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to write sometime and I do have a day job. I'm telling you, man, you get to writing at night and it just, it, there are times I'm looking at my clock and going, oh, yeah, I got to sleep. I got a day job, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Well, it's, it's amazing, Iris, with everything that you have accomplished with been going on in your life and traveling and, and kids and family working mm -hmm. a day job. And yet you're still following your passion. Oh, absolutely. And, and making I think it happen. Should. Yes, I absolutely agree. If you if you follow your passion, I have found true to form here. And we were talking about this during break. When you're not following what you should be doing, i.e., your your passion, you find out that 
that sometimes things just don't work out right. And it's, it's, it's a course correction to get you back yeah. to where you should be or where you should be going in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Like we, like we were saying, I mean, I, I had, I wish that somebody had told me because I'm, when I was a kid, that was, you know, I always excelled at the languages and, you know, Spanish and English were my two favorite classes. And when I was in college, I had a huge crush on my college professor. Hello, Mr. Caparell, if you're listening. And, <laughs> <laughs> but I sat down with him one day and he said, you know, he has, was asking me what I wanted to do. And I told him I wanted to be a writer. And he said, you should. And man, when your English professor tells you you should be a writer, it's just, you know, mind blown. Mm-hmm. So, but I never did. I never did. I was afraid. I was afraid I wasn't going to make any money at it. And so. And I- you had to go get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, and I floundered in several, several years in the meantime, trying to figure out what that real job was going to be. Mm-hmm. And so my, and like uh, my son, he's a musician and he wants to make it in the music business. And there's this really big part of me that wants to tell him go to school. But I also know that in a way that's kind of what messed me up a little bit. I didn't follow my dream. And so I'm figuring, well, he's 18. If he's going to mess up, let him do it now, get it out of his system, and then do his corpus correction earlier than I did. There you go. And if he makes it, great. He's got the talent. But, you know, you and I both know it's not always about talent. So, Yeah, networking and all those kind of things. Absolutely. And, and again, if it's what you're really supposed to be doing, you'll it'll yes. work out. Yeah, I, I did the same thing. I mean, I did follow one of my passions uh, mm-hmm. through life, which was aviation. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, so, so I, I've, I've still very much in, involved in that, but uh, I did this and I did that. And I did this and I did mm-hmm. that. And I've always wanted to be a graphic novelist or a comic book artist at that time growing up. The only real school that you could go to for that was the Kerbic school in New Jersey. Okay. That was the only real comic book school in the United States. And that was accredited and mom and dad was not going to send a young kid off to New Jersey to be a sure. <laughs> book artist. I had yeah. to do a real job, yeah. uh, but now 40 years later, it's finally come to fruition and, and I've got that going now. Yeah. Uh, it just makes your heart sing though. When you finally get that out there, doesn't it? It's just the best feeling. That is true. That's wonderful. So case in point, follow your passion. Yes. Yes. I'm a big fan of that. And I think that, you know, you're, you're, we're, we're each born with gifts and, you know, find it and, and use it. I mean, the, 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 whether you call it God or the universe or whatever, we, we were given those gifts for a reason. And I think if you don't use it, you are depriving the world of your, of your gift. Exactly. Uh, you're, you're there to be a blessing to people and, mm-hmm. and, and uh, inspiration, much mm-hmm. like you are to hiring authors. And this is one of the reasons why we do these shows to what you should be giving back if you're not following that path. Iris, what's up? About, how about some contact info and how people can find you in your books? Because you've got quite a list there. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I, my. <laughs> I'm a social media junkie. <laughs> I am. I'm on. I'm on so many of the social medias. I. I am at Iris Kane. That's um, Iris like the flower. K A I N. If you want to do the military version, it's Kilo Alpha. Uh, yeah, Kilo Alpha Indigo November Kane. Uh, com is my website. I am on Facebook. I am on TikTok. I am on Instagram. I am on Twitter. I've been on this huge Twitter kick lately. I don't know why. Uh, I tend to revolve through them. I'll go through a TikTok phase where I'll post a bunch of stuff or I'll go through a bunch of 
videos and comment and then I'll go on Facebook and do a bunch of stuff. The one thing I'm not really good at is updating my blog and I really need to work on that because I have a lot of pictures from these conventions I've been going to that are just so cool. These costumes that people come up with and the right. booths, the colorful booths and the, the people can be so clever. I just, it's something that the world really should see. And I highly recommend <laughs> if you haven't gone to a convention of something like that and you're a big fan, you should check it out. They're fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the comic cons that, that, that I go to and the festivals, you know, there's a very big part of the cosplay that are wrapped around that. And it's incredible what people can invent and, and it's, it's a wonderful thing to see. So yeah, I agree with you there. You're also on Amazon. I am. I'm on Amazon. I try to be available wherever anyone can buy a book. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, Google play, Kobo, Pretty much, if, if you buy books there, I will try to be there. And if I am not there, uh, let me know because <laughs> I want to I be available. If you, if, you want, if you buy your books a place and, and I'm not there, I want to make that change. I want to fix that for you all. Okay, awesome. Now, you self-publish? I do. I am an indie author, mm-hmm. which is in and of itself a challenge, but I wouldn't really have it any other way. I do through... Um, Ingram Spark and through Kindle Direct Publishing. Okay, that's so, good. Yep. So now I'll ask the question: sure. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, you'd like to cover? Um, I really can't think of anything. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask questions. When you mm-hmm. go to these things and yeah. you have fans come up to you mm-hmm. and they're talking to you and they've they've read the books or would be fans that are coming up to to mm-hmm. look at your books and that. When you have an interaction with them at the Comic-Cons, they're talking about these characters that, of course, you mm-hmm. and you know. Yeah. And that exchange between you and them, mm-hmm. it's, it tends to be quite a magical moment. What do you take away from all that? When people come up to me and they have ideas of where they, you know, it's any story. If you have a character, you, you think you know them. And if you think you know them, then I've done a good job as an author. Because if these people can are relatable to an audience that, you know, when I finished Shadowhunter and people are like, well, when's the next book? I, I want to know more about Noah. I want to see where it's going from here. I hadn't even really considered doing a, a, any books with Noah in it. To me, his story seemed finished, but ah. people loved his character. And so I have considered bringing Noah back and doing more with him. So, and it's, it is a surreal moment when people talk to you about your character's and almost like they know them. It's great. Mm-hmm. I love it because I, I do know them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And would you say that that interaction, that is one of the key points for you when you finish these books and you get out there? Because it's a lot of effort and a lot of cost to it go is. to these things. Would you say that is a good driving force for you or no? It is a driving force. But to me, more than anything, I, I love meeting people. I love hearing their opinions. I love hearing their thoughts. Um, I love seeing their faces light up when I offer to sign the books, which is still weird for me. <laughs> you, can I sign this for you? Oh, really? Would you? Yeah, that's fine. Kind of why I'm here. Yeah. And the neat thing about it too is being able to personalize it for them and for the event. Mm-hmm. And I, I love people who read. And you can always tell a reader because they will be walking through and they see my booth and they just stop dead in their tracks. And it's like the books are a magnet and they draw mm-hmm. 
And when that happens, I have been known more than once to say, may I enable your crippling book addiction? <laughs> because <laughs> readers, I know myself and most readers, we have a what's called a TBR pile, a to be read pile. Mm-hmm. Um, mine isn't even a pile anymore. It's an enormous box, but that's okay. And I keep, I keep buying them because uh, I just, I love books. What can I say? And, yeah. I mean, yeah. it could be worse. Well, I, I figured that's what any nook, cranny, or flat surface is for. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What good is it? It's horizontal, man. You need to plop a book on that thing. (laughs) And lots of. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Would you, um, would you take a moment? Would you take (laughs) a moment and and just think about this whole process of what you've gone through, where you started and where you're at? Do you Mm -hmm. have some moments that really stand out as inspirational or your favorite on this journey? I do have a couple, one in particular. Um, I, I met a, a, a gentleman at work. His name's Jack. He's, he's a beta reader of mine. And we found out at a meeting at work that we're both horror fans and we got to talking about that. And from there, we wound up exchanging just these really weird, scary memes that aren't necessarily social media acceptable, but we're just like, ah, you like horror, you'll appreciate this. And we go back and forth. And so when I put out the call for beta readers, he jumped at the front of the line. And I cringed. And I'll tell you why. Uh, He's a Baptist minister. Mm -hmm. And when you write books like I do, I mean, I knew he was a horror fan. So I knew that there wasn't a whole lot that could make him cringe. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, now Jack's going to know this side of me. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I handed him Shadowhunter. And then he asked to meet for lunch. And honestly, my first thought was, He's going to let me down gently and say, I, 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 Iris, I just don't, I don't know if you should be doing this or you know something. And we met for lunch and he put his hand on top of the book and he said, and I, I'm paraphrasing it, but it was kind of like, you know, this is really good. Why, why are you working at MDA? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, Jack, <laughs> right now I got to pay the bills and this one ain't cutting it. It's my first book. And, and, uh, when he got to Blood Tribe, the third book that he edited, he wait. Did you say edited? Well, edit. Well, he's he's my beta reader. He it, beta readers for me. They go through and they they. I I I ask them to help with anything that they catch that is out of order. Oh, I got you. Character eye color changes, personality changes. But if they catch any errors, he also has a degree in English, hmm. and he's really good at catching those little typos along the way. So he, he is in a sense, an editor uh, of sorts. Um, but when he got back with blood tribe, he and I, again, we, he likes to sit down at lunch and we're sitting out at lunch. And um, he said, uh, have you ever considered being published by one of the, the big, he called it the big six. I think we're down to the big five now publishing houses. And I'm like, I thought about it. He's like, you could, you absolutely could. And again, I had another one of those moments where I wanted to stand up on a chair and be like, my friend <laughs> thinks I am really good. <laughs> and those moments matter. They yeah, really do. Absolutely. And meeting the, like you said, meeting the, the, the folks at the expos and being able to see their faces light up when they see things like vampires and ghosts and just being able to make people happy um, by scaring the pants off. <laughs> <laughs> well, Great. you know, people, I think when, when they hear, horror 
like mm-hmm. horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are some, I will say, incredibly well done mm-hmm. movies and yeah. well done horror books. Yeah. And then there's the ones that, you know, are just so full of, of gore and blood. And, and, yeah, and, and I don't I don't go there very much when it comes to I don't do like the Clive Barker. I know is one that's uh, really into and I, and I like Clive Barker, but it's not my style where they mm-hmm. get into the very detailed aspects of all of the, you know, where it's pertinent to the plot. Yeah, sure. I don't dwell on that aspect because to me, it's all about how the story is affecting the people in it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how those things impact their emotions and their psyche. Yeah. So more of the personal travel than anything. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Iris, I'm going to say we're going to wrap this up because I'm out of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we're running out of time. You know, I'm glad I came by and uh, your booth there uh, me too. at MagicCon Very and, much. and talked to you because I didn't know you at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that I've, I've had a chance to sit and talk with you, mm-hmm. I've got to say you, uh, you're an inspiration. Oh, and, thank you. That means a lot. I appreciate that very much. And the, the journey that you've taken that you are on now and will continue, obviously you're on the right path of going I where you need that. to be and doing what you should be. And again, your fans very much so state that to the yeah. purpose. So I'd say congratulations to you. And again, I thank you for the time because you are a writer, you got a day job, and you're a busy, busy woman. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. It's been fun. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Iris, thank you for joining us here on the Sci-Fi-verse in the science fiction studios in the Magic City of Birmingham. And to all the listeners, we thank you for joining us again. And we will talk to you soon. And in the meantime, stay (laughs) sci-fi.